This is the Jason Hill Show, and I am Jason Hill. We are a nation on the brink of an irreversible apocalyptic decline, or collapse seems imminent. We're a nation that is failing its children by bequeathing to them a steady diet of nihilism and hopelessness on which to pin their aspirational identities. They're choked into paralyzing despair long before they have a chance to breathe real life into their innocent and sacred bodies. They are violated and used as pawns by government schools who trans them, who ungender them, critical race theorize them, and turn them against their own parents and the values that you raised them by. These schools, they must go. We're a nation infected by ideopathogens produced in our universities, which have become national security threats because they are no longer learning centers, but indoctrination cults that turn students into American-hating enemies of the state. They turn them into anti-capitalist, Marxist, communist foot soldiers whose goal is to change the political DNA of this country, invade its institutions, and rebrand the country into a cauldron of pure evil. Their goal is to emasculate men and boys, infiltrate our military with woke supremacist ideas and critical race theory ideology, and to demotivate our defenders from protecting our country. The professoriate, the professional intellectuals, they must go. We are a nation that is run roughshod by those infected by these ideopathogens in other forms as well. Sundry white supremacists, movements who cling to an atavistic tribalism and who wreak havoc on the lives of Americans who do not share their blood. By Antifa and its campaign of violence, by Black Lives Matter, Marxist-trained lieutenants and sergeants and buck privates and sundry scum whose stated goals are to destroy our U.S. banking system, our economic infrastructures, the nuclear family, who is as anti-Semitic as any Klansman and who looted our cities and vandalized businesses and burned our cities, basically, and police stations to the ground in 2020. They all must go. When I came to this great republic in 1985, at the age of 20, as an already committed patriot, we were a nation that inspired love, awe, fear, and above all, inspiration. Today, we are a colossal joke in the world's eye. We're a nation that allows her allies to trade with Iran and thereby allow that monstrous sponsor of global terrorism to stockpile its uranium and build a nuclear bomb. We watch as China globally colonizes and annexes much of Africa, Latin America, and my region, the Caribbean, surreptitiously spreading its collectivist communist ideology and building a military that will one day far surpass our own. We watch as that thug Vladimir Putin, hell-bent on recovering the glory days of an empire, or Holy Mother Russia, invade Ukraine, and we watch as he makes belligerent threats to the hyper-civilized Western European countries of Sweden and Finland. We have forgotten, as we once did, how to punish our adversaries, who support our enemies, and, more importantly, 
how to neutralize our enemies. Above all, friends, we are a nation filled with enemies of the state, of our magnificent republic that has enriched our lives and brought all of us who enjoy prosperity to the place where we are today. The jungles are not approaching our cities and the barbarians are not at the gates. The jungles have become our cities and the barbarians are inside the city walls. They're dressed in suits and ties, stilettos, with coiffed hairdos, miniskirts and dresses. They move among us like sinister deceptive ghouls, smiling evil men and beguiling she-devils. They must go. Our nation is one that harbors too many that have been let into the future, but not everyone can get let into the future. The evildoers and the social ballast do not contribute anything to the future. They, in fact, increase entropy with their actions. They must go. If I told you that these afflictions destroying our country is caused by a vacuum, that the inoculants against the idea pathogens permeating the cultural mind are impotent unless we reformulate and practice a remodified philosophy and doctrine that once made America great and noble, an awe-inspiring phenomenon. Would you believe me? Would you? Friends, I'm talking about a new manifest destiny to affirm what you are if you love this country, an American supremacist. I don't mean the 1845 expansionist doctrine that resulted in the creation of our magnificent republic. I mean something new, a new one, one that is expansionist, that will allow us once more to colonize the world and our nation with uniquely American political and cultural values, a new American mythology, an American supremacy. What would it mean for your life? How has it changed my life? And why has my vision of this new manifest destiny as an American supremacist immunized me from disappointment in America for the 37 years I've lived here? Well, let's find out. This is The Jason Hill Show, and I am Jason Hill. Growing up as a child and then as a young man in Jamaica, some part of me became an American supremacist before I was naturalized as a U.S. citizen in 2002. My soul hungered and yearned for this great republic from as far back as I can remember. I yearned for it the way I imagine an addict yearns for his drug of choice, looking for that first high. But you see, I've never had to do drugs because I was and I remain high on America. As a child, I didn't know how it was going to be possible, how it was going to happen, but I knew that I had to come to America. By acquiring a green card through the diligent efforts of my mother and my grandmother, that dream actually came true for me. On August 11th, 1985, at the age of 20, I boarded an Air Jamaica aircraft bound for Atlanta. <clears throat> Clutching the hand of my 72-year-old grandmother a little nervously, I was headed for what I still believe to be the greatest country on earth, the United States of America. Armed with $120, big dreams for my life, and the love of my family, 
I blew a kiss to the throngs of onlookers in the old run-down waivers gallery who were waving crazily at everybody and nobody in particular, a hangover from the old colonial era, and I never once looked back. I recall that day as being the first day of my true and authentic life. My glamorous grandmother was decked out in pearls, high heels, and a silk dress. Greeting the flight attendant at the door, she smiled, head thrown back, and then, with a raspy laugh, said, America, here we come. My 39-year-old mother, the most courageous woman I've ever known, had, along with my younger brother, preceded us on our journey. My mother had given up her career in banking on the island and decided to head to America alone with, with us to start from scratch with very little money in hand and to make a new life. Why? Because America was a place where anything was possible. Four and a half hours later, I, a newly minted legal immigrant, but feeling like some strange nocturnal creature, seeing light for the first time, shielded my face against the harsh sunlight of, La of the Atlanta skies with one hand, and with the other, protectively shielded my grandmother's slightly perspiring neck, although, really, there was nothing to protect it from. After all, I was in the United States of America, the most magnificent land of opportunities. I was here to make something of my life, something magnificent. A black man who had never met any philosophers or real novelists in his life, but who was determined to become a philosopher and write books in the field of ethics, political philosophy, and American foreign policy. I knew that I would make no demands of my new country, except that others place no obstructions in my path towards the enhancement of my life. I knew it was a land where I would expect no special treatment, because in an exceptional place and time, one can already write one's own history. My ideas, I decided on that aircraft, will one day be taught in colleges and universities. Before that wide-bodied A300 aircraft made its final touchdown in Atlanta, something magical happened while I floated at 32,000 feet above the ground. At some point during the initial descent, I closed my eyes and I made a covenant with this new country I would call my permanent home. I promised that in the name of the best within me, I would cultivate the noblest virtues in my character and I would use them as the only legitimate currency to purchase a life that would be worthy of an American. I made a covenant with my soon-to-be-approaching country that in the name of the best and highest in me, I would seek faith in life's better possibilities that there would be no obstacles that my indefatigable spirit could not overcome, that there would be no prejudice that a philosophy of individualism, which characterized the very essence of who I was at my core, could not transcend. This covenant spoke to the stupendous achievements I would accomplish by taking advantage of the plethora of opportunities that I knew would become available to me. Riding that majestic bird in the sky, I thought of my life in moral terms. This, this was a moral contract I was making with my new country. The best within me was a code of conduct that I would enact between myself and my future compatriots. 
was an ethos of benevolence and goodwill that I would extend, and one that I expected to be reciprocated. Because the America I anticipated meeting, and the one I have come to know and love, is a country predicated on mutual exchange. It was the 1980s, and the struggles were hard, as I worked up to 40 hours a week to put myself through college. Later on, I would earn a full scholarship to do my PhD in philosophy. But I worked hard, and I parted a bit. The music was good. It was the era of Ronald Reagan who spoke to my dreams and aspirations, and who spoke with a moral authority I hoped to embody in my life one day. America back then was feared. It was loved. I had studied American history in high school in Jamaica. I'd read about what I would later call the second founding of America in one of my books, The Civil War, and its third great founding, the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which ended legal discrimination against blacks and granted blacks full equality before the law. The grand features of America's contemporary manifest destiny was its ability to lead the free world, to guide it, to hold itself up as a model on which other nations could pin their political and ethical aspirational identities on. After the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union, I think we lost our manifest destiny. But before I even give a brief outline of what an American supremacist manifest destiny would look like, what do we have to acknowledge and own up to in ourselves to make it possible for this glorious new philosophy to take root? Friends, we have to realize that in the global commons, where there is no law in the arena, there must be a leader. If not us, who then? We must assert our apex alpha leadership position in the world and show that we can never be swallowed up by others and commit the cardinal, almost unforgivable sin at Barack Obama in announcing that America would be exercising soft power, leading from behind, and like some sycophantic, obsequious babbit bowed before some obnoxious Saudi Arabian leader on his apology tour in the second half of his administration. A country so evil, that is Saudi Arabia, that in an ideal world, it would be obliterated from the face of the earth. I still remember that dreadful speech that he gave in Cairo, where he apologized for the very temerity of the idea of American exceptionalism. And I must tell you, I went through a very, very deep political depression during that period. I had voted for him the first time, and I did not and could not vote for him, given his abysmal betrayal of America during his second administration. For, friends, America was ordained by God to command and to lead the weaker and the lesser countries that populate the earth and to provide guidance and moral support and offer itself as a spine of steel to its allies. Our constitutional republic is the most superior form of government because it protects the inalienable God-given rights of man in a manner no other country has come close to protecting.
Nature abhors a vacuum, and the United States knows that if it fails to lead, rule as destined by God, if it reneges on its sacred vocational calling, some other despicable, rotten, corrupt, vile, and evil nation-state will assume that leadership role. As I look out at the world, I see a cabal of vying competitors, Iran, China, Russia, North Korea. I see a clash of manifest destinies among them, while America lays low, both abroad and at home, as docile and recalcitrant to arrivals abroad as we are to enemies of the state within our borders. When I was a student in high school, I was, I suppose, a closeted American supremacist. When I saw how America played a dominant role in reshaping the modern world after World War II in the history books that we studied in, how it destroyed Japan, rebuilt it and imposed a democratic constitution replete with American values, and in a few years annihilated Japanese imperialism, it did the same with Hitler's Germany the Marshall Plan. I also remember feeling disappointed in the failed Bay of Pigs invasion by President Kennedy against Cuba. The evil communist country was just 90 miles from my own country. But Kennedy's disgrace was that he allowed some rinky-dinky two-bit island nation to humiliate the United States of America. But in my lifetime, we debated among ourselves as students President Reagan's invasion in Grenada in October of 1983, along with a coalition of six Caribbean nations to protect the United States and prevent the island's use as a base for Soviet and Cuban aggression in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, America kicks butt, I remember saying to a phalanx of my angry socialist fellow students who saw the political effrontery as a violation of regional sovereignty. And when I came to America in 1991, well, I came in 1985, but in 1991, I saw George H.W. Bush launch a war against Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. I remembered after that victorious war, for some reason, the covenant I had made with America. I remember that I was and remained the legatee of an amazing country that had a manifest destiny, that American supremacy ruled. America kept the barbarians at the gate, kept the jungles from invading the civilized hemisphere of the West, and in the end, it put an end to tyranny and dictatorship and the abrogation of freedom and rights by being an almighty stalwart in dismantling communism in the Eastern Bloc. Welcome back to The Jason Hill Show. I'm Jason Hill. As I said in the last segment, I, I think somewhere we lost our way. Somewhere along the way we lost our way. The Cold War was over and the 90s were prosperous years. I was in graduate school at that time and it felt like a big fraternity party in the early 90s. Um, the, it was a decade of the internet, of startups, of tech companies where new wealth from numerous companies going IPO 
uh, was being created. I think the materialism and the insularity and the inward-looking nature of the 1990s were in some sense soul-killing, in some sense. And then 9-11 happened. And whether Americans knew it or not, those Islamic terrorists placed us on the verge of a collective cultural nervous breakdown. And we have never recovered. I mean, we still take our shoes off at the airports and we can't take our big liquids through the security gates. But our insecurities go deeper. We've lost a sense of pride in our exceptional nature as a republic. We no longer feel that we are a beacon of hope and light for other people and other nations. And we have an apologist demeanor about us when we maneuver our way or navigate our way into the world. We've lost our sense of a birthright in terms of how we deal with other nations and lead other nations or lack thereof. Then there are the culture wars brewing at home, including growing assaults against our First Amendments. The First Amendment. Little need be said over and beyond what I stated in the opening segment. To fill in more details, I think I would run the risk of committing journalistic minutiae and making you all become statisticians of gutter trivia. But if we don't do something very quickly and very urgently, we are going to implode. The fissures are growing. The rebranding of a republic has already occurred. And any attempt to inculcate virtue, excellence, moral ambition, rational pride is rejected as dated, elitist, and discriminatory. As Patrick Deneen says is in his latest book, Why Liberalism Failed, politics is based on reliability of the law rather than aspirations to the high. So we need a new manifest destiny, a credo that will restore our greatness and nobility to lead at home and abroad, domestically and internationally. The problem with democracy is that it lets everyone in, and soon all standards are lowered to meet the lowest common denominator of the least competent members of our society, the most vulgar, the most crass, the most incurious, and the most unimaginative. So a doctrine of elitism, I think, is needed. When we hear the word elitism, we kind of shirk and, and, and think it's a bad word. But an elitism that's based on a cultivation of virtues developed through grit, tenacity, resilience, perseverance, honor, and moral ambition, that's needed. Morally ambitious people want to become better people and should be rewarded as such. They should be made to feel distinct from the morally slothful and lazy. And those who become elite by developing their skill sets and their talents through dedication, commitment to excellence, should be exceptionalized. And with the emergence of an ethical elite, we need a code of rational discrimination. Because radical indiscriminate inclusiveness has eroded standards, poisoned tastes, and homogenized judgments. A process of thorough vetting needs to take place, I think, so that our institutions, all of them, are expurgated of mediocrities and bottom feeders. And also a code of rational 
patriotic love of country should be part of our new manifest destiny. A code of rational patriotic love of country in our schools. Since we have government schools, I'm not an advocate of government schools, but once we have them, the emotion of political love for one's country should be taught. And it is based on a love for the exceptional nature of one's country and its people. The indomitable spirit of the American people, the absence of cynicism and bitterness from their spirit, the unprecedented innovativeness that they have gifted to humanity, these are all worth celebrating. The hatred of country is an emotional state that has been foisted on or children by enemies of the state, simply put, those who with full forethought of malice wish to see America perish. So this new manifest destiny of American supremacists must embody a sense of mutual affirmation in this respect, where despite our disagreements or differences, we will, we affirm the life plans, the good lives that people have carved out for themselves. We affirm them as if they were our own because they bring vitality and exuberance to the lives of our compatriots and friends. That's the closest we can come to loving one another. To validate, to affirm, and to recognize the legitimacy of the good lives people choose for themselves. Then we have a kingdom of mutually reinforcing ends. I choose to be a philosopher, you choose to be an accountant, or a homemaker, or a homeschooler, or a banker, or a janitor, or a construction worker, or a doctor, or whatever it is. But I affirm you in your role, in the task, in the vocational calling that you've heeded to the fullest. And in doing so, I affirm your dignity. As we manifest our personal destiny also, we help to manifest the destiny of others. That's the American way. That's American benevolence, cheerful goodwill towards our fellow men and women. Now, on the international scene, when I look out at it, I wonder how the Turkish president, Erdogan, could have sort of maneuvered his way, this despot, this tyrant, into the civilized European Union. And how did the civilized world, including the United States, permit a rapacious hooligan thug like Vladimir Putin, who is not a friend of the United States of America, to become a friend or to be become thought of as a friend in certain circles? Russia has done some terrible things to us. The Russian attacks on America began in 1996 with the Moonlight Maze attack, which was one of the first nation-state-sponsored cyber espionage campaigns. Russia was blamed for the Moonlight Maze attacks, which involved the theft of a massive amount of classified information from numerous government agencies, including the Department of Energy, the NSA, and the Defense Department, as well as defense contractors and private sector entities. It, is ser it seriously compromised U.S. national security capabilities, strategies, and interests. In 2008, a Russian group, hacking group named Turla began attacking U.S. military systems using deception, backdoors, rootkits, and infecting government websites. 
Russian intelligence was blamed for the attack. In 2017, nearly 20 years after the moonlight maze, four computer researchers from Kaspersky Labs and King's College in London were able to obtain the third-party server used to route the moonlight maze attack and link the moonlight maze attacks with Turlo. And the findings showed that the Russian state-sponsored attacks had been ongoing and ongoing. Folks, friends, let us put the slogan America first, not by watching the clash of manifest destiny of other countries compete chaotically. Rather, let us reformulate a new one, a powerful God-inspired one that has been our vocational calling all along that will shape influence and guide the destiny of lesser countries. Indeed, we are Americans, citizens of a nation that is immutably different than all others. Our destiny is to achieve political immortality. The soul of our nation is immortal, and our country is devoted not to bringing heaven to earth, but raising a republic to the heavens. We inhabit stories. We live our lives through the stories that we tell ourselves. And we create stories in order to enhance the lives that we live. And the stories that we inhabit as Americans have no endings. And so we live on in the global imagination forever. And the story of America is one of continuous redemption also. Our country is an eternal parable of hope that delivers us into the future. Let us fight with the radiant certainty of knowing that among all of God's nations, ours is the first, and that we, the American people, are the other chosen people destined to lead, to inspire, to reign supreme. Let us colonize the world with our universal values, with that original assemblage of what we made ourselves out to be, each and every one of you. Let us gift to all Americans, to all humanity, the best within ourselves, the most exalted, the most heroic. In the name of a return to Americanism, let us bequeath to our children and future generations a lasting, noble, and enduring legacy. The Jason Hill Show is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibitive.